0: This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast. You know the problem. Most credit unions continue to wrestle with too many deposits, too few places to park that money profitably. Call this part three of the CU 2.0 deep dive into lending in the pandemic era. That's because Barclay Keith, CEO of Artist Technologies, has developed tools that will enable a credit union to empower business members. Think home improvement retailers, jewelers, contractors, etc. To initiate personal loans to consumers, typically in the range of $3,000 to $65,000. For the credit union, this just may be a high-yield lending arena that also may well bring in new members. For the business, a fast, convenient way for a shopper to borrow may bring in bigger and more sales. For the consumer, this may be a quick and easy way to borrow at competitive rates without tying up credit lines on a MasterCard or Visa. Win, win, win. For the consumer, it takes minutes to complete a loan app, a process that can be initiated and completed at the retailer. The underwriting is AI-powered. There's instant KYC verification. In the lending institution, the credit union gets to set its own policies. Some may not want to lend to subprime borrowers. Others may. Some may want to lend only to superprime borrowers. Many will have a broader standard. Artist Technologies lets the lending institution set the policies it is comfortable with. The conversation with Keith in this podcast is a broad look at how the artist tools work, the benefits that may come to credit unions that deploy them. Part 1 of the New Lending Tactics series is number 113 with Sharif Hassan on small business lending. Part 2 is number 114 with Nicholas Henriksen. On opportunities in refinancing car loans and also lending to subprime car buyers. Links are in the show notes. You know you have money on hand. You want to put it to work. Listen to the CU 2.0 trilogy for ideas you can use today. By the way, there's a barking alert. There's some barking and growling in this podcast. Those noises defied filtering software used in editing the podcast, but the, the podcast is clearly audible. No animals were injured in recording the podcast listen up. So I'll tell you why I wanted to talk to you. Erin sent me an email and in the email, it said, for background, artist powers, modern lending solutions for businesses to provide low friction, affordable financing to their customers at the point of need. What this means is that financial institutions can offer downstream credits through their existing business customers. That's intriguing to me. So tell me how this works and tell me why, why besides what I just said or read is why it's important
1: absolutely and so when we think about kind of the current fintech 1.0 2.0 equations a lot of these banks and credit unions really been cut out of the actual equations where they're just nameless faceless balance sheets funding these fintechs and these fintechs are kind of those consumer facing brand now even though those credit unions and community banks are out in those community building those long-term relationships And so to us, that's kind of an incentive misalignment. And so we allow those credit unions, those banks, those regional banks to white label and essentially implement this point of need lending um, platform directly into their existing infrastructure. And so this is accomplished by tying in directly into their core, be it your Fiserv, your Jack Henry, someone like that, and then simply configuring a portfolio. Um, That portfolio has an automated merchant underwriting automated consumer underwriting and fraud policy and all those things are aligned prior to deployment. And so we can really help them offset kind of that deposit versus uh, credit issue they're having right now. And they really, they have a glut of deposits. And so not only in their local communities, they can put loans on their books, but maybe they have a state license or something like that. We can really help them get that reach to the full state or the full region they're licensed in to ensure they can fill those books.
0: How does it affect the cost to the institution of loan origination?
1: So really we're able to give them a higher quality yield versus most of their other assets um, due to the duration of the asset type. Um, these being unsecured consumer installment loans that are in home improvement or dental or one of these verticals we can stand up. It's really tapered to their portfolio needs. And so They're able to get a higher yield and a better credit quality with that finite control over the portfolio in our platform.
0: But let's what what does it cost the institution to process that loan using your tools?
1: So the, if they decide to opt into servicing and collections, that's 96 BIPs uh, a month, more or less, or annually, which is 8 BIPs a month. And ultimately, that's set up in the actual onboarding and implementation. We do that at no cost to the financial institution, other than the, the resources from you know compliance and IT security they're going to want to naturally deploy during due diligence. Ultimately, we're API-based, so our goal is just to kind of weave in as... As seamlessly as possible, to where they're able to kind of deploy that platform, or alternatively, if they're large enough, brand this to them, their own uh, kind of consumers and merchants.
0: What kind of dollar amount are you thinking about for these loans?
1: Really, we we're targeting from that three thousand up mark, um, and that goes well above that fifty-five thousand mark. Um, it's vertical dependent, but. You know, where we see those, those, that kind of target volume is from 3000 to that fifty five dollars to $65,000 range. Um, that's where most of your kind of attractive offers are going to be for that, uh, call it, you know, prime and super prime consumer.
0: And most of these loans now are being made on the basis of a FICO score and only a FICO score, I think.
1: Yeah. If you look at a lot of these banks and really a lot of the, the FinTech 1.0, 2.0 lenders, you see, do see a lot of just, basic FICO income DTI-based scoring, we're we're able to weave in a variety of data sources to include, you know, all the standards plus another 25. We also offer cash flow-based scoring. We've also got kind of a social-based score as well as that digital footprint, which we think is really important. Um, And so how we kind of view alternative data and the whole data stack is it should be highly modular and flexible to where you know if you're a bank we can obviously use it the factors you're comfortable with um, but we make it very seamless and quick and easy to kind of add additional factors or add additional data sources as well
0: so for instance what data sources besides fico would an institution be able to include in
1: this trended cash flows is one of our favorites you know looking at someone's cash flow their income and about uh, everything related to that to where you can actually get some more transparency into how much um, you know, I guess you could say excess cash flow they actually have. So that trended cash flow based kind of scoring is really attractive. Um I think, you know, our our big challenge is when we look at these these institutions, they're really comfortable in the credit boxes they have. And so, you know, our first goal is really to show them that they have that credit box with us and they're able to implement everything they're comfortable with. And then we start to show them the value of things like that digital footprint and that social score and, and all those other um, alternative data points that you can really use to kind of reduce risk um, and increase that acceptance. Another really big thing we've been working on for, for a few year now years now from a research standpoint is that really explainable AI that runs alongside those credit policies. Uh, We're really excited about that because in research, we're seeing, you know, pretty significant loss uh, reductions as well as lifts in that that acceptance rate as well. And what that does is it really looks at that larger data set um, and it runs beside your credit policy. And it says, based on what we're seeing, you know, all these magical data sources, again, AI takes some huge amounts of data just based on what we're seeing, this is, you know, what you should tweak and why. And then again, that human interaction, actually taking those actions to ensure that, you know, they are tight from a compliance standpoint um, is really important. But the explainability of that A AI is really powerful, we think. And so those are other things that, you know, as banks get comfortable with it, we can weave in seamlessly into their decisioning process.
0: So t- take me through this. You're, a customer is in a furniture store, wants to buy a $15,000 living room set. A furniture store says, hey, you know, you don't have to put that on your MasterCard. We can make you a loan. Then what happens?
1: Sure. So that furniture rep is actually going to whip out their device. They'll have a actual dashboard. They can send a text message to that consumer while they're standing there. The consumer will get a branded link. They click that link and it allows them to open up that application Uh, Ultimately, that's a consumer application branded to that furniture store. Again, you're already in that furniture store. You trust that furniture store enough that you're about to spend $15,000 there. Um, You fill out that application, a lot of it autofills because you're on your own mobile device. And then when you click submit, we actually do a soft pull of credit and fraud. Ultimately, you pass that fraud check, you get that soft pull of credit. That tells us what we can offer you. We have a true multi-offer full stack on the back end, meaning you know, if you're a credit union or a community bank and you don't want that subprime stuff, we weave in offers to ensure that that end user gets the best experience possible. They select one of those offers. We then have another pop-up that says we're doing a hard pull of credit. Once they accept that, we do that hard pull of credit. And on the back end, we have a smart allocation engine that allocates that to one of our, our partner portfolios. Uh, banks cannot compete over this volume. Again, this is a smart allocation versus being something they can, they can kind of buy their way to the top. Um, we see that as as the best interest of the consumer as well, and so once that loan is allocated, those loan docs are popped up that are branded to that whatever bank it's allocated to, and really that that uh, furniture store rep and the consumer can now transact. Um, and so the actual furniture store rep will get a pop up on that device that says, you know, the consumer has now been accepted for a fifteen thousand dollar loan. They can then send an actual transaction request to that consumer, which they can accept. Um, and that's really the credit right there that transfers directly into that merchant's bank account in a real time closed loop funding um, transaction vehicle. And so it's very, very quick and seamless to make that transaction happen as well.
0: So proxy, how long would it take? You're in there, you say, OK, fine, I'll take this loan to buy the furniture. How long does that process take?
1: Yeah, minutes. As quickly as you can really decide on what loan you want and click those buttons through is, is I mean, our whole demo end to end is less than five minutes to give you a, a kind of a view of this.
0: So similar to to a new car purchase.
1: Uh, I'd say it's a, a lot faster than a new car, car purchase because you're not arguing with the manager, right? Our our credit engine on the back end is smart enough where as soon as you submit that application within seconds, you're going to get those offers. As soon as you select that offer, you know, it's a matter of two more clicks, and you're through the process, right? So it's it's very very quick.
0: Yeah, th- no, I agree with the new car purchase, uh, but the actual uh, credit processing takes honestly a minute or so. Absolutely. Then there's it's the haggling about uh, what options you're going to buy, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Actually, you and just hit on something really important. You know, that's that's really the kind of value add point we see for these. Um, merchants and these SMBs that these community banks are going to be offering this product to as well as, you know, they're really able to kind of say, hey, what bells and whistles do you want? I can now offer you financing where instead of saying this is a $16,000 purchase, a $300 a month purchase with those bells and whistles you want, right? And so it kind of makes that sales proposition is, uh, different as well. Well, that's, that's a traditional car sale. You know, the car salesman
0: doesn't say, hey, can you afford a $50,000 car? He says, hey, can you afford a $299 a month car?
1: I think you're going to see that a lot more places than car sales coming here soon. I think it's it's kind of the way a lot of people think about it is what is that monthly payment I can afford for for the you know lifestyle item I want?
0: Now, one of the issues right now is credit union executives are worried about a significant spike in volatility of, of credit risk, credit scores. So in other words, the... 800 FICO score from March 1st might be about a 550 FICO score today because of the pandemic ruin, ruining his or her finances. How do you how do you adjust for that? How do you keep this scoring current?
1: So I think FICO has to be one piece of the larger equation, and you hit on something really interesting. We had three months where FICO was kind of non-reporting, and so from our view, that has to be one part of the larger credit decision right now because of the fact that it's a lagging indicator. Um, But how we see it is, you know, the folks who were unaffected during this crisis, i.e. they came out of this with the same score they had going into this, you know, they are potentially of a higher credit quality, meaning they haven't lost their jobs or their income source um, to this point. So the probability of them coming out of it is very high. And so I think you really have to kind of think about that credit equation, you know, based on the macro scenario we're in right now and really kind of prime that credit policy to understand that it's more than just a FICO record right now. Um, FICO, in my opinion, is going to be kind of shocked a, a little bit for the next six to eight months as it normalizes based on that kind of uh, three month data gap.
0: Right. Are you familiar with indirect auto lending?
1: High level? Yes. I wouldn't say it's something that we specialize in or, or have deep experience. in. you know, our, our deep experience is in that un- unsecured consumer installment loan space.
0: Right. Well, let me let me explain why I'm asking you about indirect car lending. That had been a very big piece of credit union lending. And the way it works essentially, and I'm simplifying grossly, is the auto dealer essentially writes the paper and then credit union glances at it, says yes or no. Most of the time they're going to say yes. Credit unions are not happy with that right now because they realize that a whole bunch of reasons they're not happy. But one of the simplest reasons is that those borrowers are not becoming credit union members other than the loan which they're not making that much money on. Uh, So how do you address that kind of issue?
1: Yeah, for credit unions, we weave that memorization process directly into the onboarding process. And in some cases we do that automatically. The information we're able to gather on that consumer um, with some of the credit unions we've spoken with has been sufficient enough where we can actually onboard them as a merchant with that information. Um, And so we have an opt-in, we can weave into our onboarding process for those credit union clients um, that, automatically happens if it's going to be added um, to that portfolio and so we've kind of weaved that memberization product, uh, process directly into our UIUX and we really try to speak to the credit unions that are looking at it as something that we can weave in um, you know those first couple of days or in that initial interaction but yeah we see that as very important as well as converting them to actually being those those credit union members is kind of vital to that working for the credit union and so that's why we've kind of weave that in natively to the process.
0: So you're, you're making the sale to the financial institution and then the financial institution offers this product to its um, business members in the case of a credit union,
1: right? You can kind of think of this as a marketplace and that we go out and we partner with both the credit unions uh, and the banks on one side and then those networks and those merchants on the others. And so when we think about those networks. And what we're talking about there is kind of a one to many opportunities where you have this larger footprint and you're able to kind of cover a couple of states, but you're also able to provide enough volume to satisfy whatever that credit union's looking for. Because some of those portfolios are also much smaller on the credit union side. And so, you know, we don't expect them to come to the table with a huge amount of uh, say merchant or SMB relationships. We still want to be able to satisfy that volume and be able to kind of give them what they're looking for without um, having the need to have that those relationships in place day one. Um, so we love to have that. We help them obviously from a data standpoint to segment and figure out what verticals are correct to roll in and also what products would fit those verticals. Um, but we see that that core kind of origination arm is vital to being able to seamlessly satisfy that volume in the longer term for multiple institutions.
0: So your, your tools require accessing the core system at the institution,
1: right? So we do push the loans into the core system as they are booked. Um, we generally try to tie directly into the core system. That's an API from our side and most of the core systems we've spoken with are very easy to integrate because they all take APIs. And so, yes, we do uh, We do on the, in the portfolio scenario uh, tie into that core system where we're pushing data and loans and everything else directly into that. Uh, just to kind of point this out, we have, have our own analytics and our own credit and every, or our own um, data that we publish monthly on the portfolio and everything like that. Um, But we like to push that over to that core system as well. So you have that integrated uh, from a core standpoint as well.
0: What kinds of loans do you see being the most likely in this scenario?
1: So when we talk about most likely, it's really going to come down to what I consider kind of those FICO bands and buyer types at the top end of that. Think of that 780 to 850 FICO. It's think of someone who's a homeowner more than likely they have enough cash that they could pay for this product. And so when we think about that, sort of buyer type it's going to be a lot of those same as cash loans meaning it has some six to 24 month window on the front end where if they pay it off in full um, it's no interest no payment and really that's about capturing that 780 to 850 consumer um, from a loan standpoint gathering that data and really getting that opportunity to upsell them on other products when we start to get down then you'll start to get kind of buyer sensitive that are very sensitive to payments, that's going to be that 700 to kind of 780 range where they're really looking for something that's like, I want this much payment or I want this low rate, right? I want this 299, 399, 499% APR on say a 48 to 60 month loan. Now, when you get into the subprime space, that's where it kind of gets a little bit different in that um, that's a lot of risk-based pricing, uh, meaning we look at the full equation and ultimately that's going to be a loan that varies APR based on the state um, and kind of that credit quality of that buyer.
0: And as I'm sure you know, some institutions won't touch subprime paper.
1: Absolutely.
0: Others are happy to do subprime paper if it's an existing member that has a relationship with the credit union. and It looks good. A person just made a few mistakes is the, the belief. But it varies. It's very unpredictable who's going to do subprime and who doesn't.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And we let them go in and configure it at the portfolio level. And so, you know, that's really up to the credit union to say, hey, here's the portfolio I'm looking for. And we can set up multi portfolios as we're doing that initial integration. Um, but yeah, if they want subprime, we'll just put that in a, se- in a secondary portfolio. They know it's going to be subprime. And we can manage the um, both the return as well as those those portfolio analytics um, as a standalone entity.
0: What's in this for the merchant to go along with this? Why doesn't the merchant say, hey, just put it on a MasterCard and be done with it?
1: Yeah, so we see fees that are significantly left, and then that upsell opportunity is great. Um, Forrester came out with research and said, on average, merchants that offer financing see about a 15% lift in revenue and over 20% lift in average order value. Um, and so when we think about Uh, A lot of these kind of e-commerce, your home improvement, um, when you think about that upsell opportunity, a lot of these folks have their time filled. It's the value of their time where if it goes from a $15,000 job to a $25,000 job, what they're making per hour with their crew is significantly higher. And so it really gives them the opportunity to upsell where they're selling on that payment or they're selling on that promotion or they're selling on something where they can help that consumer really get what they want. You know, I think it's really important in the home improvement space, especially. I've We, we gutted our house a few years back and one of the things was those, those costs really creep up. Being able to kind of weave that in, I saw the opportunity to kind of really get those things that we really wanted. And so versus it being a holy cow, this is a $40,000 model, this is a $400 a month payment, right? So it's a lot easier to under, I think, sell some of those, those things that you know the consumer wants on a larger project and in turn make it a larger product when you can weave financing in. Um, and so, some of those interesting use cases that we've seen with the partners on that side is they're weaving it directly into their sales process and those those web assets at multiple points where they can really touch that consumer. And by the time they're making that sale, um, they've already pre-qualified them, they've already selected the loan, and it's just something that they're they're kind of pricing in as a part of what they're doing. The consumers are already bought in, and so it's a good equation for their from their from their standpoint.
0: Now, in those cases, the the big home improvement vendors already have their own financing. So you're basically talking about the more local or regional operators.
1: Uh, You'd be surprised. There's quite a few big ones who uh, are actively looking for new ones. Again, I think a lot of those 1.0, 2.0 companies, they inject themselves into that consumer stream. And so with us, again, when you think about those large home improvement merchants, we can offer them that white label experience where they own that experience and that customer end to end. And then on the back end of that, we're plugging them into the banks. We're memorizing. We're doing those things. And so what's important to those, lo- those large ones is they're able to really own that consumer experience end to end. And so we can give them that. And so that's kind of what we see as one of our big differentiators is we help both sides really own that consumer versus us being that consumer brand. That cons- we just want to be really good tech.
0: So the merchant owns the loan, if you will.
1: Well, no, the merchant is not own the loan. The lender owns the loan. Just to right. be very specific, okay. the consumer is on is it's essentially a consumer unsecured installment loan that is owned by the bank. Um, all the servicing, and everything else goes, goes back to whoever that bank is, whichever credit union that's allocated you to your bank. Um, but yeah, the merchant is really only able to transact. They're able to send transaction requests they don't have control over the funds. It's still that consumer that has to release the funds and uh, everything of that sort.
0: So when you talk about this with credit union executives, what's the reaction?
1: With the yield we're able to get and the technology we're able to weave, to weave in, we've had some that have moved significantly faster than banks. I think it's an opportunity to get yield in a low yield environment and to diversify the asset base significantly. Burst um, kind of what you mentioned, they have a bunch of auto loans and a bunch of other loans that are um, not of the same quality. They may be a little higher yield, but the borrower quality is not as high. Um, and so we've had some some really positive feedback. And I would, I call it post May. Um, quite a few credit unions that have have been looking to get digital, get contactless, and also weave in this quality asset into their portfolio, their larger portfolio.
0: I think one of the objections to some indirect lending is some of the papers just hinky. It's the dealers are um, not filling it out correctly. We, we can talk about what their intent is, but that's a different podcast altogether. So. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. And we try to get really deep with that that kind of merchant or dealer underwriting to ensure that you know it's, it's coming in quality. And then we monitor that. We have the ability to put in uh, kind of risk hedge there, where they have to put up some sort of risk capital as well. And so we we have controls in there that we we really try to kind of bypass that problem. Uh, what's your uh, will consumers welcome this? I think consumers will welcome this. I mean, you think about it, um, what they're looking for is that same as cash loan, and we're able to weave that in, uh, given what we can kind of uh, do with the financial leverage that we have, both pricing on the loan side at either a premium or a discount, and then pricing the other side of the merchant uh, to ensure that risk is attracted from both sides. And I think that's really important is, you know, consumers are not going to want this if all we can offer is, you know, 799 credit card rate loans. What they're looking for is, you know, something that can be weaved into the sales process and be attractive at the time, you know, given the project and things of that sort. So I think it's very, very product dependent. Um, And we encourage the credit unions that we work with to kind of get outside of the, oh, we only want the very, very low fee stuff because it's about adding diversity to the portfolio to ensure that that consumer will accept that loan and ensuring that acceptance rate's fairly high.
0: Now let's talk uh, for a second about this same as cash lending. I understand I've gotten... Of loans, when I bought Google products through a a different financial institution, Google controls the process, and they're interest-free. And I know what's in it for Google, they're moving some product, and I assume they pay a fee to the financial institution. How does that work in what you're talking about though?
1: Yeah, you can think about it in a very similar equation and that there's a merchant fee on one side and then you have a product that's either discount or, or sold at a premium to that uh, you know, that institution on the other side where they, they know beforehand what they're paying for that product. So in many cases, like the same as cash, they're gonna get a discounted kind of from par product and they're also gonna get some sort of escrow that's put up front. And so for example, And some of those same as cash loans, you might see a, you know, 98 cents on the dollar loan. And then you also might see 2% put up for escrow as a risk hedge until the loan, you know, for the life of the loan, essentially that's a percentage imbalance. And so we try to make the portfolio very enhanced and strong by adding escrow and things of that sort to ensure that we can, you know, reinforce that and make it as strong from that standpoint as well.
0: So the merchant, let's think about a furniture store can offer an interest-free loan sale. You know, come in this weekend, spend $5,000, we can give you an interest-free loan. And the merchant will essentially pay the fees to the credit union.
1: Yeah, Yep. Yeah, exactly that. And you see it a lot in furniture, you see it a lot in, you know, jewelry is another really big one where they'll have very, very long promotional periods. They'll have, I mean, I've seen up to 60, we don't offer this, but they've had up to 60 months, you know, zero interest uh, loans at these jewelry stores and things like that. And how they really do that is they have fees on the front end that that merchant pays to offset some cost to lender on the back end. And so when you see products like that, you know, generally that's going to be the equation. There's some risk capital up front from the merchant. And so we, we've created those levers where we can do that on the product and kind of that risk tier basis.
0: Before we go, think hard about how you can help support this podcast so we can do more interviews with more thoughtful leaders in the credit union world. What we're trying to figure out here in these podcasts is what's next for credit unions. What can they do to really, really, really make a difference in the financial scene? Can't all be mega banks, can it? It's my hope it won't all be megabanks. It'll always be a place for credit unions. That's what we're discussing here. So figure out how you can help. Get in touch with me. This is RJ McGarvey at gmail.com, Robert McGarvey again. And that's RJ McGarvey at gmail.com. Get in touch, we'll figure out a way that you can help. We need your support. We want your support. We thank you for your support. This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast.